Is that Hillary behind you? It is. In the farmhouse, it's creaky. You can hear you can hear everything. Hi, Hillary. He says hi. Hi. That's awesome. Good. Yeah, so we'll just we'll roll in. Have you done podcasts before? Um no. I've done I did one interview for something with Mike Rogie a long time ago. I, I don't know. Where that ended up? Yeah. <laughs> well, that would be impressive. Maybe I, nowhere. Yeah. We'll have, to, we'll have to search that one. Well, yeah. whatever. We're going. We're live. We got Ben Leone here on the other end, Skyping in from Colorado. And I was pretty excited. I don't know. I think after last episode with Tyler Ray, he had mentioned Ben, and I was like, oh, yeah, I need to have Ben on. So I pinged Ben. I'm like, Ben, when are you coming east? And he's like, not till March. So I was like, oh, kind of need you before that. Like, how about tonight or tomorrow? <laughs> so I got last minute Ben. I did zero prep for this, which is great because um, maybe I can have you on again and do some actual prep. But um, I think your story and your uh, your backcountry presence here in the Northeast is huge and it's um, a pleasure to have you on um, episode three of Weekend Beta. So welcome, Ben. Yeah, thanks for having me. So let's start. Let's start with uh, where are you right now? I know you're not in New England. Um, I, yeah, I'm. I'm sitting in my bedroom in my two room apartment here in Boulder, Colorado. Um, just got home from work. Like, I don't know, probably five minutes before you and I hopped on this call. That's good because it's like nine nine o'clock here, and I'm. I got some work to do tonight, and I bet you do too. Um, so, what's the ski yeah. season been like out there? I mean, we're in it's, today's December nineteenth. Is it already? Well, um, yeah. So it's been it's been interesting. We've had quite a bit of early season snow. We had a big storm in October, then it went dry, and we had a big storm in November, um, and then it it kind of kept snowing in early December. So our snowpack is pretty good. We're above average, but um it's a colorado snowpack and for those of you who aren't familiar um if i had to describe it in one word it would be sketchy um so yeah a lot of avalanche activity over the last couple weeks um some pretty scary conditions um avalanche danger was high for quite a few days in a row over the course of like last weekend um so that's definitely kept me on some really mellow stuff uh, around here. I call meadow skipping, um, you know, kind of skiing with the dog. It's borderline cross-country skiing, but it's uh, the safe option for now. Um, but things are starting to settle down um, over the last couple of days. So hoping to get out this weekend um, and enjoy some of the snow. But ex explain that because Aaron Rice mentioned that in his presentation, how he just like dodged Colorado. He just did not want to be there in the wintertime. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Colorado always has kind of a sketchy snowpack, but it, but this year um, and kind of last year as well, particularly sketchy. Um, those October storms that I mentioned that we got in early, they come in, um, it dumps like a foot, and then, uh, and then we don't get any snow. And over the course of like – the month where it hasn't snowed since then, that snow kind of rots. Like it just turns to sugar. 
Um, so, you know, when you pick up snow and you try to form a snowball and nothing happens and it's just like sugar pouring off your hands, that's what that snow turns to. And then you get a bunch of snow on top of it when it starts snowing again. And, and that, that, that is really a weak layer that, that kind of hangs out right on the ground. Um, and it's really easy to trigger. Um, the more snow you get on top of it, uh, up to a point, um, you know, the, it, every time it snows, there's kind of an elevated risk of avalanche. And that that layer doesn't go away is the problem. I mean, once it snows like that in October and that snow turns to sugar, you're dealing with that problematic layer on the ground all season long. So um, some of you probably saw in the news last year, there were some massive 100-year avalanches here in Colorado. Um, and that, that happened in March, and a lot of those avalanches Avalanches um, ripped all the way to the ground on that old. We had an October storm last year as well, and um, and so you know huge avalanches with like 16 foot crowns that would clear out you know a mile of mature forest, and and that's not an exaggeration. That that happened last year um, for over the course of of a couple um, over the course of a couple weeks. They they actually closed down a bunch of roads here in Colorado, stranded people in like cabins and places. Um, because the activity was really monumental, um, and, and that sticks around. It's, um, unfortunate, but, um, but something you have to deal with all the time here in Colorado. I feel bad to some degree, but on the other hand, it's like, yeah, I mean, you're looking around these huge peaks all around you with all these probably badass looking lines that you just can't touch. That's, that's totally it. (laughs) It's like the forbidden fruit. It's just hanging right there. So like last winter, I ended up skiing more in a resort than I probably had over the course of like the previous four years combined, <laughs> like had more days sitting on lifts because at least that terrain, you know, is safe. Um, whereas a lot of the steep terrain, Colorado above tree line is pretty much off limits until April um, when things start to like settle out again. And And the nice thing is in Colorado that once April and spring skiing runs are rolls around the season lasts really long um i skied every month this past year um and uh and skied some really fun steep stuff um especially in the spring just like mount washington stuff that you may be a little hesitant to ski in the middle of the winter you know come spring and you when you know the snow is stable it's it's kind of game on it's sort of the same same deal out here it's interesting it's not something i i think about it's like colorado the off limit stuff, like for most of the winter, you just think that every, I don't know, sitting, right. sitting, sitting way over here in the East coast, you just think, Oh yeah, people are skiing everything over there. But sounds like a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff. Uh, people are, have a healthy yeah. caution and got to stay smart. I'd say so. I think, uh, I think people are really good about, um, you know, social media, making things look maybe, more extreme than they are like they're getting into gnarlier terrain than they actually are um some of my friends fall into that category i'd say um friends out here that they'll they'll the stuff you post on instagram like you know it looks all super gnarly but then you talk to them and they're super calculated about that spot and um what they're going for so it's pretty interesting but yeah it's it's really touchy here um doesn't mean i won't ski steep stuff above tree line the right conditions out here in the middle of the winter but by and large i kind of 
I honestly kind of avoided it last year um, for the most part. Well, let's, let's pull it back and talk about ski background in general and your introduction into backcountry skiing. I think that's always a fun place to, to really start diving in. That's what people want to hear. They want to know Ben Leone, how did he get to become this, uh, the face of backcountry skiing on the East coast? So yeah, let's, let's hear it. So, um, in college, I started backcountry skiing in college. I quit ski racing after my freshman year, both because I wasn't quite good enough and also uh, to focus on academics a little bit more. But I always still, you know, I was like, I always just love skiing. Like, I love being out there. I, I, I did love being on the ski team because I got to ski every day. Um, I remember I was the only person on the ski team that, you know, Sundays were our day off. That was like our only day off from skiing all all week. And I used to actually just go skiing because it, to me, it was like my day for free skiing. And I kind of like carried that over after I quit racing. I just wanted to ski as much as possible. And, um, and I don't know what led me to, to think about the backcountry. Maybe it was, I, I started to do some winter camping trips when I was in college and, um, also stayed at some of the AMC huts in the middle of the winter and kind of realized like, like it's pretty awesome. You know, I love the whole thing about, you know, getting out in the woods in the winter and kind of being more alone. And, um, and then I was wondering why I didn't just bring my skis because I'm, I'm hiking around these mountains. Like I might as well get to ski something. So, um, kind of met up with some like-minded people in college and we kind of started hiking around and, you know, this was like 2003 or 2004 ish. And there wasn't great backcountry equipment. Um, my first, what I would say real big backcountry mission that I ever did, you'll laugh. I was still, uh, in racing Technica ski boots. I put my Dina fit or my Dina star, like Nobis inspired, which were like 89 underfoot. And at that time was like a super fat ski Threw those on my backpack and hiked all the way, like up and over airline, all the way to the top of Mount Adams, just to ski some patches of snow on the top of Mount Adams, um, with some friends. And then, you know, kind of like made my way back down the hiking trail on my skis and then skied some woods in the Northern presidentials on the way out probably got a couple of core shots. Um, I look back at it and I was like, what was I doing? But I had a pretty awesome time and I kind of got hooked and that's, that's rugged. Ended up, it was, it was rugged. Uh, it was a, it was a serious expedition and I will never hike, uh, an entire mountain. It's like taking the tux, tux experience. We're going to do this, but we're going to like, yeah, magnify it, double it, double the vert to get to some snow fields. Yeah. yeah, be really uncomfortable in our boots for a long time. Because, right, you're probably in, like, some sort of race boot that's one size too small. It's in some, like, Technica Diablo, like, you know, plug boots. <laughs> that's amazing. Like, uh, from my race days. Pretty dumb, but I had a great time. So you were in college. You were over in Vermont, right? No, I was in Maine. Oh, you're I in went Maine. to Bates College. I was way off. Yeah. I was thinking, oh, your grad school or law school. Yeah. Samsonite, dude. You're way off. I know. Bates. Well, I went to Colby, so NESCAC stuff, dude. You can't you can't retain everything. NESCAC. Um, yeah, so you're making these trips. Like, for, that's pretty early. I mean, you're in college. 
um, what was the scene like then? Yeah. If, if like as you when you got a taste of it, so the backcountry um, started to get to see what was around and the potential, like how did that evolve um, throughout like I'd say like the next few years and leading into uh, what you've done with your web series working for the weekend? Yeah, um, it kind of evolved, you know, after starting in college, I studied abroad in Grenoble, France right in the middle of the Alps and and got into some more like kind of big mountain skiing and decided I wanted to do that for a few years after college. So then I moved out. I spent a year in Colorado right after college doing some backcountry skiing. And that's where I started taking avalanche classes and getting educated. Um, and then um, spent two years in Alta, Utah. Um, and that I really got into backcountry when I was living in Alta. Um, I lived right at one of the lodges at the base of the ski area. Um, and you know, little Cottonwood Canyon has got some of the best backcountry access in the world. Um, right out your back door, pretty incredible. Um, and, uh, so, you know, at that, by that point I was pretty hooked. Um, and when I moved back, I came back for law school in Vermont and, decided I like, you know, didn't want to quit backcountry skiing, even though I move, was moving back east. And, you know, from what I remembered, there wasn't a whole lot other than like Mount Washington. But what I found was like, you know, there was awesome backcountry skiing in, in Vermont. And I was able to do a lot of it. Like even though I was a full time law student, just kind of sneaking in half days here and managing my time and working at night so I could go get freshies when it snowed. And, um, I kind of I reconnected with Meathead Films when I moved back to Vermont, um, which is a film company that um, I'm not sure really exists uh, independently anymore. But it's the same guys that started Ski the East and started making Ski the East web series. And um, so I was filming some some um, stuff with Meathead Films when I moved back. I think I was in like five other films, um, and. Uh, and mostly just doing backcountry skiing for them. And during that period, you know, learning a lot more about Vermont backcountry and then also getting into the whites every spring um, quite a bit. Um, and uh, yeah, and then, you know, for working for the weekend, that was just like me had films stopped making movies after my first year out of law school. And so I kind of had this idea of like, I always loved the whites, you know, I kind of grew up in the whites. I wanted to kind of show them off and nobody had really like done a web series or really highlighted that much in film, um, what the whites had to offer. And I was living in Portland at that point and just a total weekend warrior. And I mentioned the concept to, to Jeff and uh, rooster who owns ski the East and they were like fully behind it. Um, and I just kind of went with it. And at first I just kind of gathered some of my buddies who I skied backcountry with, with me head films and, and some of my buddies from Alta who had moved back East and I just kind of went from there. What, what was that first episode? The first episode I think was just called Mount Washington or maybe Tuckerman something. And it was like, yeah, it was kind of fun. I went up with, uh, my buddy Brooks Motley, who's uh, who's a doctor, he was in med school at the time, so another weekend warrior. Um, 
he was over at Dartmouth. I met up with him and uh, Brian Post, I remember, um, and Jim Surrett, uh in in Mount Washington Valley. We kind of got him to come with his camera, and he brought out the heavy hitters from episode one. Oh, we did, we did. We well, we had to start it right, you know. We had to convince. We needed to to fund it somehow, and um, and which was primarily like you know I didn't make a dime off I'd spent a lot of money on working for the weekend didn't make a dime off of it um but we had to pay people like like Jim and Brian to come out and film it I'm not going to make a videographer come freeze their fingers off all day without making sure they're compensated so um yeah we kind of we we went out we filmed like an early day early December day in Tuckerman Ravine and it ended up being like super fun and chalky and um we're like you know we could make this work and we worked in you know your classic east coast theme and we, we weren't about going out there and making every day look gnarly and awesome and like deep how um, we weren't going to sugarcoat the kind of skiing that we have um, back east so we just we wanted to make it re real and that kind of went along with the whole theme of working for the weekend it's it's you know, your your average desk jockey getting out there and skiing real terrain and kind of having the whole web series follow the ups and downs of a, a backcountry ski season in New England. And I think it really resonated with a lot of people. Yeah, I, like when you create relatable content like that that is accessible that people can drive to in a day that's yep. right there in their backyard. That's what they want to see, and they don't. It doesn't need to be amazing, but no, like no people are starving for that because no one's doing it and to have you have you guys doing it with ski the east that stuff that no one was showcasing um you know i think it's easy to lose you get desensitized to skiing in general when you just want to see the ski porn stuff if you just want to see people go big and massive and then you tune into working for the weekend and what you i think you guys tied into like what i really liked was that it was had some story to it. You're like, this is our window. This is what we're, right. we're going to go. We're going to go to this zone. You weren't blowing up places. You weren't really naming it, but it made it fun to guess of like, where is that? Like you look and you yeah. it was pretty stealth. Like you could sort of tell where some of these places are, but it was sometimes difficult. And I love that. I love that like little bit that keeps you like, you know, like your imagination starts going and thinking about, well, is this this line or is this this line? Um, cause, yeah, cause yeah. You, you guys covered quite a bit of ground and I think what was like, yeah, I want to ask what was your favorite of all those? Like, is there one episode or one filming that like stands out? Cause it seemed like, I don't know, you guys got skunked a few times, but you're always able to salvage something yeah. or, or maybe you'd go right. and have low expectations and you'd be like, whoa, this was actually one of the better yeah. days of the winter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I'll, I'll get to that. I'll tell you probably what one of my favorite days was, and then I'll get back to the concept of like, um, and the decision making process behind like how much information we were trying to give to the public about where we were, because a lot of thought went into that. But um, I would say like probably the the best day was um, we skied up in North Twin. Um, those slides off a of North Twin, and it was my first time ever going in there. And it's it's a little bit of a slog to get in. It's I don't know how many miles in, but um, four. 
four miles on the okay, on thanks. the nose. Yeah, I couldn't remember. Force, and you're kind of in the woods, and we're just following a GPS, you know. And you're in the woods, and it's like thick woods, so you can't really even see the peaks around you, and you you kind of just trusting the GPS, and you're slogging for four miles, and then like we came out of the woods at the slide path, like right where it gets good. And I remember we looked up this slide path. Nobody had touched it yet. It had snowed up there um, just in the mountains, like a little orographic snow, like five inches over the last couple days. Um, and like all the trees had like kind of a little bit of rime ice on them. Um, the cloud cover was right at the top of the chute. And I just remember looking up at it and just like being like as stoked as I have ever been. Like I'd, I'd never seen that line before. I didn't know how awesome it was. I know you know which one I'm talking about. The one with like the trees kind of hang over it. It's not mm -hmm. super long. It starts off in a big kind of ice field at the top and then it narrows down into this really cool like little hallway of trees that's got a great angle and it's just perfect pow skiing. That, that day just like blew me away. I think I was like stoked for like an entire week after that day. Um, we got a couple laps up in there and and then we even got some bonus like, you know, birch glade, low angle birch glades on the way out. And I will say going into that, you know, we had super low expectations. It hadn't snowed in like a week and there was no snow. We stayed at like the sketchy little bed and breakfast up in Twin Mountain um, for the night night before we went out. And there was there was like grass showing in Twin Mountain, you know. And it hadn't snowed there at all. And so, like I said, you have these really low expectations, but you never know until you go. And, you know, as we slowly made our way up, I think the base of that slides like, I don't know, maybe 3,000 feet or so. Um, there was just a ton of snow. There was We actually measured the snowpack near the bottom of the slide, and um, there was over six feet of snow there. Um, I don't know. They've got a little microclimate there or something, but... Um, yeah, that was, that was probably the highlight, um, or one of the highlights I would say probably the most surprising day I had. I gotta, I gotta piggyback off that story because I had, a, I had a pretty funny, funny, uh, tour out there. I've been there once before and had like a really great experience and skied both slides, the main slide and that little hallway slide. And I wanted to go back and I was like, Oh, well, I don't know. This was a couple years ago, I think. And the storms had come through and like, we just got in a storm and I was like, all right, I think I, but it, I wasn't right on it. So I knew that some people had probably been back there and I went, went up there, skinned about a mile in. And then I saw tracks cause you don't know it diverges, right? Like I'm skinning on an yeah. existing track or snowmobile track. And all of a sudden I split off and I'm like, oh man. And then I connect with the access point and I'm looking and I'm like, all right, well there's tracks. Do I go up? Or do I go, I'm like, I've already skinned a mile in. So at this point, I'm just like, all right, just get a workout in. Just go up, burn it, like go quick. They've already broken trail for you. So I, I motored up and um, it's tough when you're breaking trail going into these, some of these zones because you're constantly route finding and trying to figure out, should I go left, should I go right? Like there's plenty of different ways to go into, into, into some of these slides and so I just follow their tracks, cruise through, listen to some music, and next thing you know, I pop out, and then I get to the foot, the, the foot of it, like you were talking about, and the track stopped right at the base of this, like, like beautiful, like, I don't know, you're talking about deep. It was so deep, I had to take out those ascent plates 
the snowshoes for your like the the snowshoe plates that go between your crampons yeah. because yeah yeah you will ruin kinda. you will ruin the entire slide if you try to do um yeah if you try to do switchbacks yeah. up it you're just gonna wallow if you take your if you take your skis off you're gonna be up waist deep um and it's really steep and there's a few slides like that in the white mountains and only a handful of days will you, a winner will where you'll ever need those things but when you do when you do need them yeah they are you're like man i've brought these things out and put them on and not really needed them countless times but when you do need them it's like it will make your day so put in my own boot pack go up had a gopro i think i lost it on one of the runs and i had to find it but i was just up there by myself just i did like five five runs in that one little shoot because the other shoot the other That's slide awesome. is more exposed but I was like doing my own little working for the yeah. weekend episode there. And, um, yeah, par- I think part of it was probably, I did some homework and I watched some of your episodes and I was like, Oh, where is that? Maybe I should find that. But yeah. I don't know. It's one of those places like you've been around long enough. You're going to go start exploring some of these slides. Um, were there slides, other slides that like you didn't do on working for the weekend that you were pretty surprised about? Um, or did you, did you feel like a lot of your exploration I- was tied in with filming? Um, I would say a lot of the exploration was tied into filming and that's actually, you know, one pretty awesome thing about doing that whole web series is that every weekend, you know, I didn't want to repeat anything, um, during a season. So even though I knew sometimes another place would be good, it would force me to take that chance to go find something new to be able to film something new. Um, and so, you know, like another one, like Landslide Gully in Crawford Notch, you know, I'd skied that before, but every time I've, I'd skied it a couple times before, but every time I'd skied it, it like you get different conditions yeah, every good, time. Good luck there. getting that. Um, and I'd never been all the way to the top. Um, so yeah, that was like, you know, that was another situation where that day we actually thought it was going to be awesome. And it snowed like 12 inches, like three days before um, so we thought it would have settled and, you know, it'd be really great. And instead it was like blowing like 70 and the wind had ripped out like all of the snow down to like an old rain layer. Um, and ended up kind of like most of the skiing, skiing sucked in there. Um, but, uh, you know, that was that same I still episode got and that was the same episode, right? It was in the same episode. Yeah. I think we filmed it like three weeks apart, but yeah, it was in the same episode. Yep. Um, but we still, we found that little hall, weird ass hallway at the top that was like jump, turn, shoot. It was like, you know, a barely fit in. You but. need like one seventies to like make that happen because, uh, I've, I've scrambled up <laughs> that and it's like, it's really beautiful because there's not many features like that in the white mountains. Um, when you're looking at rock no. formations and stuff. So, uh, it's, it's amazing. And that's all I think about It's like, Oh, this would be so good to ski. But you need those you need those magical yeah. conditions because even where that pinnacle like from that where the hallway dumps out it comes out to uh, an ice you got some ice bulges and other terrain to navigate right. you definitely need a healthy base layer below all that and that's what's like the Webster Cliffs are yeah any any place that's known for ice climbing like you need some magical conditions to get that to be able to start skiing yeah them, unless you're uh, Ryan yeah. Gibbs and and Forrest Frizzle they able to ski anything yeah yeah. They will ski anything. Those guys are animals. Um, that that line has always struck me as like the ultimate 
the ultimate New England line. Like I've always dreamed about since I skied that, like hitting it on a right the right day and doing your jump turns down that hallway. I did them on 186s that day, by the way. <laughs> what? And you can hear it in the video of me like banging into the sides with like my tails as I do jump turns around. <laughs> like you can hear the scraping, but like doing some jump turns and then that exit out of that hallway into the main chute is actually there's a drop there. It's like a eight foot drop over a little ice bulge and it empties you out into the main part of landside gully. And I've always wanted to like, you know, do my hop turns and then huck that little eight footer and then do like GS turns all the way down. And then like halfway down landside gully or maybe a third of the way down, there's this double stager cliff, um, that uh, some of my friends have hit before my buddy, Stacy, who lives up in Littleton, or I think Franconia now, um, he hit that on a really great year and made it look awesome. Um, and, uh, you know, hit that and then finish out with a couple other big turns. It would be like the ultimate, like, New England big mountain line. <laughs> well, second to when you do the Empress, then you take that big cliff at the end. Correct. That is always, that's been on my bucket list for so long. And I've gone up there and been, like, skunked. Yeah. like several times um it's pretty it's, it's pretty intimidating up there but the yeah. viewpoint from hojo's and the filming that, that perspective you couldn't beat it was it it was must have been two winters ago now i forget how long you've been gone but when you jumped that little bulge in not little in odell's on firm snow was that two years ago that was almost exactly one year ago was that one year okay one year ago that was first week of december last year yeah that's crazy yeah. And that was in, I think that's uh -huh. where I got to give you some props for, for doing that on firm snow in like a pretty <laughs> consequential, like, you know, you're going to slide for a while if you don't stick that. Yeah. And yeah. hope that your tech, definitely hope that your tech bindings, uh, hold you in on that, yeah. on that firmer <laughs> stuff. I don't know. And like, it, yeah. it probably doesn't look, I don't know. I, I watched that. I think I, so like, yeah, this goes back to watching working for the weekend and, I probably watched that and I was like, yeah, you know, Ben's good skier, but like, this is like, again, you're so conditioned to watching people just send it. And that's part of the, like, right. Part of the reality of the back country is you can't always just send it, especially when you start getting in remote areas where you don't have helicopter access. And you know, if something goes wrong, you're, that's right. you're really jeopardizing, yeah. putting everyone else at risk. And, and like, what's, what's the point? Like, what, what are you going to gain out of it? But to yeah. see you do that in Huntington, I was like, "Whoa, Ben, Ben's still, uh, still pushing it a little bit." Do you feel that at all? <laughs> do you like feel the yeah, sense that sure. every like, winter that you try to like that. try to get the butterflies going? I have told myself I need to keep. <clears throat> well, first of all, I have fun doing it. But one thing that's really interesting is, um, I don't get as nervous about hucking things like that anymore. And I don't know why, maybe it's just like, I've been doing it for a while. And so I'm like, just kind of accustomed to it. And I, you know, it's all about confidence and just understanding what your ability is. And I started to get comfortable kind of jumping off of things in the east and where where your body weight is actually slightly more forward in the air and on the landing than it would be if um, hucking things into soft snow out here um, when your body weight's a little bit back. And I don't know, I just got comfortable like jumping off of things in the east and whether it's hucking onto corn like in tucks like like you and I have done together um, or like 
you know, hucking onto hard pack. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, I really, I kind of like it. It's like, well, it just, it keeps things spicy. <laughs> well, yeah. One thing about, <laughs> about that ice fall was like, yeah, when I followed you like a lemming off of it and that was my first time really hitting the proper ice fall and I landed and it was pretty hard. It didn't feel as good as you guys made it out to be because you guys were probably taking it probably, I mean, you really absorb it and take it at a good angle and like you've got it figured out. Mm-hmm. Whereas I just went off of it and I felt like it compacted pretty hard and I was like, I'm good. Like that didn't feel great. Yep. I didn't want to run back up. I'm right. like, that was probably the limit. And you mm-hmm. know, it still, still lingers in the back of my head because like you're saying, you do it once, once a year, pretty much no problem. You know, I'd yeah. lo- I would love to be able to somehow keep up that tradition, but probably not for me. But I, if, for, if for someone that's looking to get their first spring proper huck off the ice fall, like what it, what are your, some of your tips? Basically, uh, you know, I, I'll say the first time I ever hucked off that thing, I did the exact same thing that you did, which I think the way that your body position was and everything, like when you landed, would have been like perfect form for out here. You know, you were like, Maybe a little for for the back. Like, yeah, like, dude, I back slapped that thing so hard the first time I ever hit it. Now, I I had the same reaction as you. I was like, okay, was that worth it? That kind of hurt. I mean, that's (laughs) terrifying to think um, that if you're to trust that you're you're not going to just tomahawk head over heels or like face plant, double eject, whatever, right off that, you need some serious confidence. And I guess you should probably start with some smaller hucks on the similar terrain yeah, for sure. that's probably a good good place to start but if i had like a couple pointers i would say in tucks you know the steepness of the landing is your friend it's going to help absorb the landing because you know it's it's not as bad as landing on something it's like the same same thing with like well not the same thing but like same concept as like people hucking huge cliffs in alaska when it, when it looks like they land and they have no impact, it's because they're landing on something really steep. And so one thing, one mistake I see people do all the time in tucks is they hit, they go off the cliff at an angle. And when they land, their skis aren't facing straight down the fall line. And that's just going to like, you're kind of asking for that to hurt. Um, and you're not letting the steepness of the landing be your friend when you do that. Um, so that that would be like my biggest suggestion is like, um, make sure you're pointing like when you want to land so that your skis are pointed straight down the fall line and you're using the steepness to it, your advantage. Um, it's, but it, it's a head game because you don't want to necessarily usually take it straight. You know, it seems really intimidating, but, um, but it's actually easier and it doesn't hurt as much. <laughs> pointers, pointers noted to anyone out there ready ready to eye it up. I mean, it's pretty crazy watching last winter, watching Silas Miller huck up, like he jumped it and landed and what did he do? He somersaulted, tomahawked, and then went back up and hucked a backflip and stuck it midwinter. Yeah. Like stuff we're not, uh, no one's, uh, just stuff we're not seeing up there. And I think it's easy to watch on video and think like, oh, I'm going to go up and do that. But when you get up there, it's the, it feel, you really feel like, yeah, you feel the the butterflies that I was talking about big time you can take that pretty pretty big if you wanted to and watching Silas do yes. that last winter I was like whoa and I don't feel like it got the notoriety that it deserved I mean 
there's no, no it's not a, it's insane. not it's not like there's a lip off of it it's a downward slope because i've thought about it i was like oh right. it'd be easier just to like sometimes things are easier to spin or backflip off of because then you don't have to worry about everything else you just focus on that one thing and it helps right. take away the fear but watching yeah. him do that last year i don't know that's that was pretty uh that was very intimidating um i think like the last time last time we one of the last times we skied was we were cruising with noah howell out there as he was taking oh, yeah. off his 50 classics oh well, that was 2018 17 yeah 2018 18 mayday and yep. yeah watching it was really it was really fun to go out with him and see what he thought of the zone um but it got me thinking someone was asking mm-hmm. me on instagram about like what for, what else from new england do you think would you put on like the 50 classics so if you had to pick one line in vermont what would it be yeah let's start there um, is there one line in vermont, in vermont that's vermont. like um, you would you know like what is vermont's line i mean there's a bunch of stuff up in um smuggler's notch in the notch proper not the ski area as you skin up and you get near the top there's some really steep awesome shoots and all of those are rad um and they're steep and it's it's sort of like it's the most white mountain type place you can go but there's there's some huge lines in there i don't know the names of all of them where there's actually mandatory rappels in them um people get real sporty with some ski mountaineering up there um I would say, yeah, there's a, there's just a bunch of lines near the top, something like elephant, something I've skied, which is on the South side, um, which is really cool. And there's some pretty big hucks in there. And then there's a zone that you can actually sort of get to off of Spruce peak, um, from the ski area that you have to traverse a ways, but there's a huge, there's a couple huge cliffs in there. Um, you can avoid them, but like really long, awesome shoots. They're south facing, so you kind of have to hit them right after a storm um, to get good snow. But uh, but the, they can be super spicy. And what I like about those is you can either ski around the cliffs and have it just be like a long tree shoot, or you can make it spicy and hit one cliff, or you can do it as like double or triple stagers. Um, you know, Ryan Hawks skied one of those lines um, just like a month before he passed away years ago. Um, for those of you who don't know him, Ryan Hawks was a well-known Vermont free skier who was competing on the free ride world tour, just a total world-class skier. I used to compete with him when I was competing, um, when I was living out West, um, he was way better than I was, um, just an amazing skier to watch. And he did, um, he, he went back and filmed with Meathead Films back East while he was doing the tour. Uh, he and uh, uh, Lars Chickering Ayers. And um, Ryan ended up doing a backflip gainer off of like a 30-footer in there, landed on a pad, took two turns, and then hucked off another 30-footer. It was like one of the most insane things I've ever seen in the East. Um, and that's, yeah, that's one of those south-facing big shoots off of Spruce Peak and, and Smuggler's Notch proper. Yeah, I guess in Vermont, smugs. I, I'm, just, I'm so green on the Green Mountains. Smugs, Stowe, Jay. I don't know. There's a lot of stuff between Jay and smugs that people would kill me if I mentioned. Um, and then, but 
But honestly, like, Big J, it gets a lot of traffic from J Peak. But if you skin in from the bottom and you stay kind of on the west, not the west facing, but um, kind of where everybody comes out of Big J, the bottom, like, two-thirds, I think, is some of the best skiing at Big J. It really opens up and you're in those big, um, those big, like, yellow birch forests that are really spaced out there's some awesome skiing down there and if you stay kind of like skiers right um where people come out they miss like all these big openings and, and like i don't know some of the best skiing is over in there and basically if you're skiing big j from the top you go down kind of under there's sort of a cliff band skiers right and if you kind of hug underneath it and kind of keep going skiers right on your way down, you will, you'll start to hit that stuff. But you do need to be careful uh, not to wrap around the side of Big J to the side that faces Montgomery, um, or else you're screwed and you're in for an extraordinarily long Sounds day. Like which you're familiar I'm with that super one. embarrassed to admit has happened to me before. <laughs> There's also some stuff on the other side of of the road, um, south of south of the road there, and then there's. I've also skied some stuff in the woods north of Jay Peak. Um, there's a little like mountain pass up there. You can drive up there and then skin out the ridge. And, you know, it's northern Vermont. You're always going to find like good spaced out um, yellow birch forests that are really fun to ski and just natural. Like people don't, some people trim spots up there, but there's a lot of skiable terrain naturally up there as well. Just to wrap up the topic here. And Maine, uh, you said you're going to um, Baxter State Park early, yeah, early March. I am. So the chimney yeah. has to be like the line, I think, in the East Coast. For sure. Like I think that's probably. I don't know how that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Tuckerman Ravine's classic. Huntington, mm, it's cool, but the chimney is the line. Yeah. And that's some, yeah. that's something like I only I skied two two thirds of it. I haven't skied the full line, but. Um, it's right. got the features that you're looking for, really cool and like a couar, and yeah. um, it's pretty stunning. It's real wilderness. You can rappel in. You can find little nooks and crannies. And um, when I went in there last year or two years ago, we just it was like the first thing we saw. We got into. We we're just like, oh, let's just go. Keep, let's go peek up there. It's 3 p.m. in the end of March, and sun was starting to set, and we didn't we were just familiarizing ourselves with the snowpack because they just got back-to-back nor'easters and we didn't really know you know going in we're like is it yeah. gonna be powder is it gonna be amazing but no it's just like mount washington it had been wind hammered it was all wind slab and right um yeah <laughs> so we're like ah oh, it's pretty stable and packed in but that was good because we could go ski anywhere but um it wasn't like the deep power we maybe envisioning um right so how many times have you been in the baxter state park uh, for skiing, zero times. So this is new. Wow. Yeah, this is what's going to be crazy about this is like, you know, I lived in Maine for the last eight years and I never skied Baxter. Um, and now you but, live, it uh, takes you so living in Colorado is, to, to make it happen. Yeah. Yeah, it seems ridiculous. But but essentially what's going on is um, so uh, my fiance, Lindsay, uh, her father has been going in with with a group of guys for like decades and they go in every winter um you know he's Lindsay's dad's one of those guys that hangs out 
like camps out for three nights in the parking lot to secure the the weekend he wants um, when they open up reservations for Baxter State Park. And so, and Lindsay's been going with him since she was like 13 or something like that. So uh, it's both, it's going to be like an incredible skiing and outdoors experience for me, but it's also, for me, it's, it's a little bit of a rite of passage with the family um, that I'm really looking forward to. It's like, you know, it's probably Lindsay's uh, favorite and kind of most memorable uh, family tradition that she has with her dad. Um, so really looking forward to like being able to take part in that. Um, I think it's going to be awesome. That's so cool. I can't imagine a better way, a better tradition to have than get in there year after year because yeah, you, you, who knows what you're going to get? Like these are your windows. Yeah. You'll take them and you'll make the most yep. of it. But there's something to be said about, I think getting out there and having this experience that everyone can relate to no matter what it's sort of that winter camping outdoorsy experience and if you get good skiing that's all a bonus right like mm -hmm. just being out there and spending that time yeah. getting off the grid very cool you know for those that aren't familiar to get to chimney pond i'm guessing you're yeah you're in the cabin there's lean twos if you want to rough it but the cabin's where it's at and it's a 16 mile approach to get in it's like 13 miles on relatively flat trail in the last three miles you know, you climb a thousand feet plus to get in there. Um, it's amazing. I went, you know, when I went there, I didn't know what to expect. And we were able to ski for like two and a half days before I had to bail. I had to get out of there, but it is such a cool spot. There's nothing like it. Um, and we yeah. just, and I feel like there's so much to explore. You're going to go for the low hanging fruit, whatever that might be, but there's the whole North basin and some really cool lines there. And if you're a rock climber, ice climber, like, there's so much stuff to do. I mean, that's how most of the yeah. lines and stuff are named after the ice climbing, the rock climbing routes. But yeah, I'm excited for you. I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that we just talked to the meteorologist that we're going to have a good above average snow year. Things will hopefully flip come late, you know, come January into February. So March should be prime. Yeah. March should be primed for you. Yeah, fingers crossed. And um, one thing that's a uh, pretty funny is. Um, my buddy Eben um, from college, who was in the outing club with me and everything like that, he's now the uh, he's the new park director for Baxter State Park. Um, so it's fun. Hopefully, I, I run into him up there as well. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Interesting to see who else you see, who else is staying up there. Because, like, you know, pro, yeah. pro tip: you could go and stay. It's easier to get a spot at say Roaring Brook, and then you could do these bigger missions. No, for most people, it seems like a big daunting task to start your approach mm -hmm. from there. But it's not, you know, yeah. it's all your mindset. And if you need, if you need some Nordic backcountry skis for the approach, let me know. I got those. Thanks, buddy. Nothing better than a soft boot to to ease your way in. Yeah, yeah. I I have some real crappy Nordic skis that I bought for like just messing around in when I was living in Portland, and you'd get those big storms in Portland. I love just like skiing around the city with no cars on the road. Doing your grocery shopping. <laughs> Metal-edged Nordic skis. Yeah. All right. Well, I need to wrap this up. I got to I gotta eat sure. myself and do some editing here. But I guess, uh, yeah, it's really cool to sum it up. You've been a mentor, you know, whether you realize it or not. You're that, that lawyer guy that skis 
on the East coast. And it's, you know, we, I was talking to Tyler about this and he brought it up and saying that you're, it's really cool that a whole generation of backcountry skiers have grown up watching your videos and that's gotta be pretty special, right? Like you get recognized people, people want to give you shout outs for what you do and inspiring them. I've seen that from you. Um, you've inspired me. So it's really, you know, that's something which I hope like the next gen picks up and keeps making some content and sharing really neat adventures because there's places, plenty of places still in the white mountains where there's stories to be told. So anyone listening, definitely get out there and make it happen. Um, any, any gear recommendations, anything cool, like on the East coast that sort of changed your approach or anything you can think of? Um, I got these, um, trying to remember what they're called. Um, but they're basically just toe piece crampons. Oh, not Um, those things. Get out of here. Yeah. I love those things. Uh, they crush it. That's it. It's not for like walking around on the summit. You know, it's, I only use those things for like, you want to go up central, central gully and tucks or something like, I mean, in Huntington, like, and you're only ever getting your toe into the slope anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, it's nice to have those. Um, but what else would I say? Uh, <laughs> Um, my favorite piece of gear in my backcountry pack is a thermos, and oh, I, I usually have coming. either some dirt, some dirty chai, or or and I should say and Allen's coffee flavored brandy. Oh. It comes everywhere with me, um, just like a little like just a little touch. Um, <laughs> You've definitely made left your mark because some of the young kids came into the shop the other morning and they're like, "Oh, you got Allen's coffee breath." Like they just finished up their ski. They'd done a sunrise mission, came back to the parking lot and finished it off. Some, some Allen's incredible. I'm so proud of that. Uh, Yeah. You know, (laughs) it's like, if there's one, I think one legacy, one part of your legacy you can leave, it's just letting people know the gift of Allen's coffee brandy. That's right. That's right. It's, it's, it's a, it's a great beverage and it's really great in your hot drinks. Uh, I'd love to hear more recipes, more recipes. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many, um, well that, you know, your, your classic Allen and Allen's and milk, which is also known, well, it's got a lot of different names, but a lot of people call that the Biddeford martini. Um, yep. and, uh, but yeah, it's just, I don't know. I put it in dirty chai, I put it in coffee, I put it in hot chocolate. Um, I like to bring a thermos when, when I go backcountry skiing, if I've got the space for it. Um, it's a real nice treat, especially like if you get up to Hojo's and it's super windy and, um, kind of gnarly, it's nice to like go in that little hallway right there and like sip some hot beverages and kind of warm up. I, yeah, that's a very, uh, that is a good point. Hot beverages for the wind doesn't have to be Allen's, but bonus points if it is right. Definitely bonus points. I was going to say, I just got this, um, I got a hoodie this winter and it has um you know that your thin layer your r1 style from nerona mm-hmm. and it has a face mask built in which you'd see in say Whoa. arcteryx but it has the holes for the nose and the mouth built in which is amazing hmm. it's like that is amazing taking it up a notch and i used it to, i was out there today i never gross out right but you're protected my face gets really red i never use the buffs because of that reason usually you want a hole or something in there 
something to breathe that doesn't yeah. get all wet and gross but uh right right well, that was a cool thing yeah innovations because like once you get your kit dialed you feel like you know you don't really change stuff you don't really have to change stuff out but that was one item right one item that got an upgrade this winter cool man well hey thanks a lot for um taking this on last minute you got a lot of fans out there that want to hear what ben's up to and hopefully catch up with you back east yeah yeah i'll be coming back east quite a bit and i've got i've got a niece that lives in conway and my parents live in conway now as well so my sister brother-in-law um so i've got a lot of reasons to come back i'll i'll keep doing that and um and yeah i I would just say like for all the listeners um if you haven't lived anywhere else um and been parts of other backcountry communities i would just say you're if if you're part of the one in the northeast you're part of a really special community people are incredibly supportive there's not there aren't these huge egos um and it's it's uh it's just it's different out here um there's a really awesome supportive community back east i think part of that is thanks to um you know events like the events that andrew's putting on um and events like granite backcountry's putting on um that that create community there's a really fantastic community and that's probably what i miss the most well we miss you ben so you're welcome back anytime oh thanks buddy we yeah <laughs> i know but it's true we didn't get to, we didn't we have lots of ski days to make up because i don't feel like we got to connect much when you were on you're out there on the weekends and i'm out there on the weekdays but the days we did right. get to connect it was pretty pretty fun um and i understand why everything you did back here was so successful so yeah until next time ben yeah you take you take it easy out there and be safe keep up the good work andrew yeah awesome to chat all right man well have a good night thanks you too bye <laughs> i'm all about the ounce coffee burning i think i was like what, what can i ask what can i ask ben um working for the weekend and alan's coffee brandy covered got it covered and I think ba- you got everything now. Bates College. Done. Bates College. Go Bobcats.